And so today we're at Luke 22. And in Luke 22, um, what Luke does is he's covering the period of time in Jesus' life, the very end of his ministry life on earth, from the time of the Passover, um, which is when he has the Last Supper, it includes that, has the Last Supper is what we call it, where he kind of institutes communion. And we, in, in other texts, talks about how he then washed the disciples' feet. And so the Last Supper from that time on until his kind of farce trial before the religious leaders, before the Sanhedrin. And so it's that, that, that window of time at the very end, right before Jesus is crucified. We're going to get into that stuff next time. But during this period of time, there's something really interesting. And, and here's the deal. Because we're preaching this in a way where we're taking a whole big picture look every week at every chapter, it causes you to see the events different. And if I was preaching this in a different style, where I was just preaching thought by thought or idea by idea, I think I would have missed this. What I see in the big picture of Luke chapter 22 that I think is put in there on purpose, connected together, but I wouldn't have really made the connections before. And Maybe it's something when I say what it is, you're going to go, I wish you would have not seen it, Pastor Mark. But it's this. In Luke 22, it includes the failures in the lives of both Judas and Peter. The failures of two of Jesus' closest followers. And don't you think it's interesting that it could have been included any time, but Luke puts them together in one little area, one chapter, and the chapters are, you know, somebody else put it later, but, but it's included right by each other. The stories of two of Jesus' closest followers failing on their spiritual journeys. That they didn't always do things perfectly. And I think God wants us to take notice of this and to think today about this idea of failure, of our own failings, and to look at what we can learn from chapter 22 and see what we can, what we can learn. So number one, we can grow and learn when we do fail. But also number two, I think, how can we avoid failure? You know, and I think, I think this is it's, it's really good. I think it's really relevant. Um, now, this is a really long chapter. Chapter 22 is long, so if I took time today to read the entire chapter, that'd be my whole sermon. And I don't think, although the Bible does say it's interesting, the Bible says give yourself, New Testament, not Old Testament, give yourself, because the Old Testament did it too, but very New Testament, give yourself to the public reading of Scripture um, and instructions to pastors. And so uh, that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing, just take our time and read Scripture together. But I want to highlight some things instead out of Luke 22. Um that are dealing with this idea. And I'll kind of walk through the settings and then, and then explain what's going on and read some verses. So look at chapter 22 with me. It starts off with Jesus giving the instructions for his, the Passover that they're going to celebrate him and the disciples. And so verse 3, let's start with verse 3. It says, And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. So Jesus is one of his followers, Judas of Judas Iscariot. And he went away and discussed with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray him, Jesus, to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to betray him to them apart from the crowd. So then um, they go and they begin to have the, they have the, the preparation for the, for the, for, um, uh, the Passover, what we're going to call the, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. And then they go into the Last Supper... And as they go into the celebration of the Last Supper, uh, the Lord's Supper, 
then they have this crazy argument about who's the greatest. And in the midst of it, at the tail end of that argument about who's the greatest, verse 31, look at what it says here, Jesus' words, Simon, Simon, who's Simon? Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Now that of anything, that verse right there ought to kind of make you scratch your head and go, what in the world? Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and that you, when once you have turned again or have actually turned back around, repented, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. See the exclamation point at the end? He's saying, I'm serious about this. In verse 34, he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied me three times. Three times that you know me. So then they, they go on. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, Judas comes up, betrays him. And then we get to the betrayal here, verse 47. And while he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one, who the 12, one of the twelve, was preceding them, so he's leading the charge, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. Remember he said, the one I kiss in the cheek, that's the one. So he kisses Jesus. Verse 48. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And so they, they arrest him, and then as following the rest, verse 54, having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. And after they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the firelight, looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, Before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Okay, we'll stop right there. So, what do we see here? We see two men who have walked with Jesus for, at this point, three full years of ministry. And think what they've seen in the three years. Remember, this is the end of the Gospel of Luke. They have seen Jesus um, raise people from the dead. They have seen people who are blind receive sight. They have heard the deaf, seen the deaf who couldn't hear here, they have seen the lame walk. They have um, been themselves part of ministry. They were part of when Jesus sent them out in pairs and gave them authority over demons. They had cast out demons. They had been part of the ministry where Jesus took one little boy's lunch and fed 5,000 people with it. And another time, a little bunch of little food and fed 4,000 people with it. These guys, think of it, had been on the front row at God's engagement with the world. They had literally had front row seats at the most amazing display of the reality of God that mankind has ever seen. 
And yet, two out of 12, they failed. They made decisions that were diametrically opposed to walking in union with God. And to me, this kind of seems impossible. It kind of seems shocking until I look in the mirror. But it kind of seems like, how is that possible? Why would they do such a thing? Well, I think that the Spirit of the Lord made sure this was included in our scriptures to help all of us out on our faith journeys. That we can learn from their failures and maybe we will keep us from some similar failures that, might, that we, we might tend towards and we can for sure learn about how we can learn and grow through our failures. So as I look at these two stories, I really see um, four lessons that I think God would like us to learn about Judas and Peter. So let's look at these four things. First thing is this. You might go, eh, follow me. It is normal to fail while you're on your faith journey. It is normal to fail while you're on your faith journey. Now, I don't say that. The reason I'm so hesitant to say it is you can just make an excuse then. Well, failure is just part of life. I'm going to fail all the time. I'm never going to even try. That's not at all what I'm saying. Rather, I say that... um, So that reason I tell you this is so that when you do fail, you're not freaked out. You realize you're not alone because what I see at times, if people, they they fail and they don't expect to fail, it's so shocking to them, they then just give up on their faith journey. See, our spiritual development takes time and there are a lot of hills and valleys along the way. You know, people want to think that when they come to Jesus, if you were to draw a chart of what their life will look like, they think it goes like this, up and to the right. You know, now I know Jesus, so everything gets better and better and better and better and better. But reality tells us, their lives tell us that's not how it works. That it more goes like this along the way. There's hills and there's valleys along the way. And when adversity hits um, and we make wrong choices, we need to understand that failure shouldn't surprise us, and it it need not demoralize us when we fail. And here's a a great thing to learn, especially for all of us perfectionists. And when you're a perfectionist, I'm a one on the Enneagram. You know what that's called? It's a perfectionist. You know what's hard for a perfectionist? It's hard. It's hard to admit that you're not perfect. And it's not because you're arrogant. It's because you try so hard to be perfect what you think you're supposed to be. And you're shocked sometimes when you don't do it. And I I remember talking to a person one time, it was about something simple. It was about remodeling a bathroom. It was a relative of mine. And I ended up remodeling this bathroom. I laid the tile, I did everything in the bathroom, and it had never been remodeled, and the wife wanted it remodeled, and the husband never do it. And finally the guy said, well, the reason I ever do it is I'm a perfectionist, and I just can't do it perfect, so I don't do it at all. So I remodeled their bathroom. I laid their tile and did the work in their bathroom um, as a perfectionist. Um, But sometimes that can, even if you're not a perfectionist, that fear of failure can, can demoralize you. But just understand something this morning. Set yourself free. You are not perfect. And God doesn't think you're perfect. You will never be perfect. God knows that. 
And guess what? God loves you. Not in spite of your perfections. He loves you with all your imperfections. He loves you with all of your imperfections. Now, when I say that it's normal to fail, I want us to understand that our spiritual journeys have a trajectory. The trajectory that's intended for our spiritual journey is from dysfunction toward function, from brokenness toward wholeness, that there should be movement, there should be progress towards wholeness and holiness in our lives, but that means we start and we progress from a position of brokenness and wounding, and that that will inevitably lead many of us times to making bad decisions and making mistakes and having failures along the way. That's normal for a person in progress. So accept it about yourself. And here's the deal. Expect it from others. Expect failure from others. None of us is perfect. And when you get that into your soul, just accept, I'm just not perfect. Man, it takes the pressure off. But then understand the person next to you. Look at the person next to you and say, you're not perfect. (laughs) Ooh, that's dangerous, isn't it? You're not perfect. But you know what that, if we really believe that, what it does? It allows us to give grace to one another. You know, if Peter and Judas failed, each of us is going to fail also, right? So the first thing is, none of us is perfect. Failure is just part of our, of our journey, a trajectory of getting better. It's just not going to go perfectly. Matter of fact, I would contend it's the failures that are the greatest teachers to make us advance if we handle them right. So that's the first thing. What's the second thing we learn from this? That spiritual failure has a demonic root. Look at verses 3 and verse 31. These should kind of make you stand up and take notice. They should kind of make the hair stand up in the back of your neck a little bit. Verse 3, And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. Verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Satan entered Judas. Satan demanded to sift Peter like wheat. This reveals a satanic or a demonic root to temptation which leads to failure. Friends, before you get or I get too high and mighty, when we see somebody fail, and I'm going to say this, especially, a little bracket here, especially someone who is a high-profile, influential person, like this would have been Peter and Judas. Remember, of all the followers, they're in the top 12, and Peter's in the top three. These guys are the leaders of the leaders of this, re, of this movement of God. Before we get too high and mighty, when you hear in the news, this pastor failed or that person failed, which, man, people gravitate to that. And I'm not making excuses for their failure. I'm just saying, before you get too high and mighty, let's think about what this text reveals. It says that Satan was actively trying to bring them down. That Satan was involved. Friends, it's a big deal to have Satan putting his sights on you. 
that he's gunning for you. And both Peter and Judas crumbled under the pressure. So what do we think? We have to be smart here. We really do have to have, we, we really do have an enemy. Can't stick our heads in the sand. We really do have an enemy. He really does hate God. And he really does hate everyone who aligns their life with God. And he really does try to defeat us. Friends, we need to understand, we are in a battle. And one of the things that we sometimes forget as we focus on the fact that, oh, we have this loving God and everything is about the God that Jesus reveals and I'm all, that's, that's my world. We sometimes forget is that before that, we were born into a cosmic battle between God and Satan. Humanity was born into a cosmic battle that already existed. Satan is defeated for sure because we know the end of the book. We get to read the end of the book and it tells us what's going to happen. He's defeated for sure, that we know. But it says a battle is raging and we are the battlegrounds. That's what we see here. We are the battlegrounds. That's what we see in Adam and Eve, the very first human, human couple. Satan was taking the battle to humanity. To get at God, Satan was saying, I'm going to destroy what God's, what is God's. So Satan is taking the battle, this eternal, not eternal battle, because Satan was created, but this, this battle much longer than humankind, this cosmic battle, Satan is taking the battle to humanity, and his desire is for you to reject God and for you to reject the ways of God. And understand this today. When, when you have so, people have hard times understanding, why do bad things happen in the world? How could there be destruction? How could there be evil? How can there be divine judgment? All the death and destruction and pain in the world, all the suffering and judgment is not tied to God not being loving, and that's the foolish, short-sighted view that people have. It's tied to Satan waging war against God and mankind, and hurt and pain and suffering are the result of war. That's the big picture reality. A war that will end one day, but a war that is raging today. So what do we learn from Judas and Peter? Be aware. Be alert. Know that Satan is gunning for you, so be cautious. Don't go down pathways that could lead to destruction and let the reality of this attack cause you to run close to Jesus. Abide, stay close, connected, and let that reality be the motivator for choosing to live God's ways. See, God has shown us some very clear ways to live, revealed through his word, and then reinforced through church history, ways that are designed to help us, to protect us. God has revealed the best and most secure kind of life to live in scripture. He's saying, this is how you ought to live. You ought not to kill. You ought not to lie. All these things, you ought to live this way. Choose a life within his guardrails, a life of forgiveness, a life of extending grace. Those are guardrails that God is giving us so there's, no, there's less opportunities for Satan to have an inroad into your life to bring you down. So we choose to live within the guardrails of God's word, which means you need to learn God's word because it's a place of protection against the assaults of Satan because it's as if we have armor around us because we're living in God's way. So we see that as we look at Judas and, and, and Peter. So we find that it's normal to fail. 
we find out that spiritual failure has a demonic root, so we've got to be aware of that and cautious of that and, and try to protect against it. Then we find something else. And the next two things we look at are really closely tied to each other, but they show, they show there's different results that can occur in our lives because of failure. And the first one is this, and, and we'd say, oh, pastor, don't say that because we always like a happy ending. Do you know that in Cambodia... We have friends in Cambodia. When we were missionaries there, they're still there. And one of the things they do is they create movies to, create, to, to communicate the gospel. But the movies must be approved by the Cambodian government. And you know what the rule is? Legal rule from the government? All movies have to have a good ending. They have to end in a happy ending. You can't leave things unresolved. You can't have an evil ending. to it. So they're trying to show through this Christian stuff. And it was really challenging at times. Because people who don't walk with God suffer consequences. How do you do that all the time? You can't always live in homework world. You know? That's kind of what they had. Um, But what we see from this is that failure can be fatal. It can be fatal. Uh, This point in the next one we're going to see about failure has to do with the idea that we can have different outcomes from failure. And Judah shows us that failure can be fatal. Think about Judas. He rejected Jesus. He sold him out. And then what did he do? The Bible says he went and hung himself. He killed himself. I mean, the ultimate fatality. Yet I want you to think about something for all the times that we blame other people for our failure. Think about this for one second. For all the times you've blamed someone else. Judas had the best pastor that the world's ever produced. He had the best community that the world's ever produced. Twelve people, one fell away permanently, but those twelve people, so the eleven of them, literally changed the world more than any other group of people in the history of the world by starting the church. He had the best pastor, best community. They followed the best leader. They had the best advisor, the best counselor, the best of everything possible in their lives, and yet they failed. It's not always about everybody else. You know the saying, when you point the finger, there's three more pointing back at you? This kind of shows us, Judas shows us this. Failed, why? Why did he fail? We know this, the problem why he failed wasn't that it wasn't because he had a good pastor or a good church or he didn't understand enough. It it can't be that. So he couldn't blame somebody else. Why did Judas fail through failure? Why did he not recover? Why for Judas was failure fatal? I think there's, there's a very clear reason why. The problem was his unwillingness to change and grow. I'm going to show you this. His unwillingness, and you think about people in your lives that you know, and maybe it's about you too, and if it is, great, identify it. So failure is not fatal in your life. The people who do not grow and develop, do not partner with God in the ministry of of transformation, for them, failure often becomes fatal, fatal. So unwillingness to change. Let me show you how. John's Gospel. Turn just a few pages further. John chapter 4. I'm sorry, John chapter 12. Let's see something about Judas. That gives, I sat with this. I'm saying, God, how come one made it and one didn't? I 
think this is the answer. Unwillingness to change. Look at chapter 12 of John. It says, you know, it's a parallel, parallel gospel about the life of Jesus and it adds different details. That's why we have four gospels. They add different details, different perspectives. And John's, chapter, um, John's gospel, chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, it writes about Judas. And look what it says about him. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, why was this perfume? So it's a situation where some perfume was poured over Jesus and it was very expensive. And um, he's reacting against the fact that this very valuable perfume was poured out on Jesus. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people, which was a lot of money, 11 months' wages? Look at verse 6. Now he said this. Not because he was concerned about the poor. So first of all, what we see is it's very easy to put a facade up, a phoniness. Oh, I'm concerned about this. You know, some external thing. But what was the condition of his heart? Not because he's concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box. So in Jesus' ministry with the 12, they had a money box, obviously, where they kept money that was donated to them to do the ministry that they did and survive in the ministry. He held the money box. He was the Pastor Mitch of our church, but he was a crook, where Pastor, Pastor Mitch is not. <laughs> and our auditor proved that. So he was the guy who had the money. He had the money box... And he used to pilfer or steal what was put into the box. Look at this. Judas had been with Jesus for three years. This is the very end of his ministry, Jesus' ministry, where this comes down again. And he hasn't changed a bit on the inside. He started off as a thief, and here he's a thief that stole from the ministry of Jesus. He wasn't growing and he wasn't changing. He sat in the church of Jesus every day for three years, and he didn't grow, and he didn't change, and he stayed the same. Let's remember something. We all start our spiritual journey from a place of where we're broken. But we are made by God to move toward wholeness. As we allow the Spirit's access into our lives, He changes us. He transforms us in Christ's likeness. But we have a choice. We don't have to allow the Spirit's access. Judas sat in church every day, every day, seven days a week with Jesus. The church of living with Jesus, with the best preacher, the best counselor, the best leader in the planet. And He didn't allow Himself to be changed. He didn't allow the Spirit access into his life. We don't have to partner with the Spirit in transformation. We don't. We can just stay the same on the inside, and that's exactly what Judas did. And in, listen to me, in that condition, he was no match for Satan. That's the key here. In that condition, he was no match for Satan. So when he crashed, He was tempted and he failed and he was destroyed because of his failure because he was unwilling to grow and change. His failure was tied to his unwillingness to grow and change. And think about that. If we resist internal change, eventually our failures will lead to our downfall. 
it's scary. But he includes it to warn us, to help us. If we um, resist internal growth and change, we say this, well, I'm just going to do whatever I want. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what morality says, which is, comes from Scripture. I'm just going to do whatever I want because it feels good to me. Eventually, a failure down the road will lead to your downfall. That's what we see in, in Judas. Failure isn't the problem, friends. We all fail. We started off. That's why I started that way. Failure isn't the problem. Refusing to grow and change is the problem. That was Judas's problem. And I got to tell you, after 30 years of being a pastor, I've watched way too many people, way too many times, that people come to Jesus, but they refuse to really go all in. They keep clinging to their sin and their unhealth and their unforgiveness and their self-control over God-control. And they stay the same. Oh, they tend, but they stay the same. And then something comes along that knocks them down, and there's always something that comes along that knocks you down. It's called living. And they just don't get up, and they end up walking away from God. And I've seen it way too many times. It's, it's heartbreaking. And that's what we see in Judas. Aren't you glad the story doesn't end there? Luke 22. But let's see that it didn't have to be that way. And we can see that when we think about Peter. See, Peter shows us that failure doesn't have to be fatal. Luke, or Judah shows us that failure can be fatal. Peter shows us that failure doesn't have to be fatal. See, like Judas, who rejected Jesus and sold him for 30 pieces of silver, Peter rejected Jesus. He failed big time. Matter of fact, he did it three times in one little period of time. Three times, a couple hours earlier, Jesus, I'll die for you. Three hours later, I don't even know that guy, swearing at people, you know, I don't know him, you blankety-blank. And that's what the context says. One of the, one of the Gospels, he's cursed at the people. Three different times, he rejected Jesus. And think of this. He rejected Jesus at Jesus' greatest time of need. That's like a little twist to the knife. He rejected Jesus at Jesus' greatest time of need. And it says in the text that we read um, from Luke that he was so upset that he went out and he wept bitterly. Now, how come Peter recovered from his failure? Because if we know the story of Jesus, of, of Peter, how did this guy who openly rejected Jesus three times and all the disciples would have known about it, how in a little short period of time does he become the primary leader of the church in Jerusalem? He becomes the main apostle. And he's really not over, ever outshone in that group. Eventually, Saul becomes Paul, who's not part of that group, and he becomes a great leader to the Gentiles. But the primary leader to the Jews in the church is Peter, the guy who rejected Jesus three times. How did he do that? Here's why. He embraced his mistake and he grew from it. He understood that life was more about, but was about growth and development, and that struggle can cause you to move ahead. And you go, you know, okay, Pastor Mark, oh, that sounds real cool, but how do you get that? I think it's so clear from Peter's words. Um, take your Bible and turn to near the end of your Bible, 2 Peter. The Peter we're talking about is the author of two of the books of the New Testament. Look at 2 Peter. 
I just peruse through Peter's writings and try to say, Lord, show me how in the world we can see what Peter did. And I'm like, boom, just jumps off the page. Look at 2 Peter. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. And I want you to pay attention, not exactly to the minutia of what Peter is saying, but the big picture of what Peter is saying. And I'll explain that, but just try to pay attention to this. 2 Peter um, chapter 1, starting verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have received a faith of some same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and to godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence knowledge, in your knowledge self-control, in your self-control perseverance, perseverance, in your perseverance godliness, in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness love, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in your true knowledge of our Lord Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and his choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Look at how Peter looks at life. This is what we see here. We see how he looks at life. Peter sees life as a progress or a process of growth. He sees life, look at verse 4. He sees life as becoming the person that Jesus knows you can be. For by these things he grants to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Um, he knows it, it is, requires diligence to move forward and he gives this whole list of things and this leads to this and this leads to this and this leads to this and what's the result? Verse 8, if these qualities are, in your, are yours and are increasing, growing, moving, developing, getting more, increasing... They will render you neither useless nor unfruitful to the true knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He knows it requires diligence to move forward. So how do we, how do we learn from that? How did he learn from that? He failed, and he grew through his failure. He didn't deny it. He didn't explain it away. He said, okay, I failed, and now... We see these years later when he writes, he's saying, listen, life's a journey of growth. It's about becoming partakers of divine nature. You don't have it all here. It's something you mature and grow into. It's about becoming something that you're not. He understands growth. He says, and here's the process. You do these things. You, you, you engage your life in goodness and perseverance and self-control. And what will happen is you do all these qualities as you grow in these things and they're increasing developing, then you'll become this person. Where do you think he learned that? 
I think he learned it years earlier when he was sitting by a fire with a couple of little girls that said, ones that, some men, but also some little girls who said, you're one of them. You're from Galilee. You're one of them. Not me. No, 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 no. I, I, I think you're with them. Your, 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 your voice, your accent gives you away. You're one of them. No way, man. Not me. No, you are. Uh-uh. Curse, 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 curse. Shut up. And the cock crows, the rooster crows, and you look across the courtyard near Jesus, and he turns and he looked at him. He looked into his eye and he looked into his soul. But remember what he had told him. Remember what he had told him. If I can get back to Luke. But I have prayed for you, verse 32, that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. He says, listen, you're going to make some bad choices. Jesus knew exactly. He said, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to fail. But listen, Peter, your failure doesn't have to be fatal. Learn from it. Grow from it. Embrace it. Make a decision. Ain't going to happen. That's how he got better from it. That's what we can learn. Church, our failures aren't our biggest problem. Our refusal to surrender them to God and invite the activity of the Spirit into our lives for growth is the problem. Our refusal to grow and change is the problem. We can be a Judas or we can be a Peter. It comes down to how we handle our failures, how we partner with the Spirit in helping us grow. And I want to end in maybe a little unusual way. And whoever's closing, come on up to the keyboard. I honestly was during worship today, and I'm like, I think there's a way we're supposed to end that I hadn't planned on or thought about. But we're going to do this. Wednesday in class, our Wednesday night transformation classes, we were talking about a, a, a style of prayer called the prayer of movement, where you, you use you, movement is that you actually physically move in the prayer. You move your hands because it helps us identify what's going on. And the prayer movement starts like this. You put your hands down here, and you think about the reality. You imagine in your hands is the reality of your situation. So in this situation, it would be the reality of your failure. That you hold your failure out here, and you think about in your mind the reality of that failure, of whatever it is, wherever you failed in life, or whatever's maybe going on right now, or maybe it's 10 years ago, and you just haven't been able to forgive yourself for it. You've not moved on. You've not embraced it. Because you've got to embrace it first. And, and we, I didn't take time to do it today because it would take too much time. But, but Peter did embrace it because later on in the, in the post-resurrection um, occurrences of Jesus, Jesus and Peter get together and three times Jesus, got, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, well, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know all things, God. Why do you keep asking me? Peter, tend my lambs. For every time I rejected him, Jesus is saying, I want you to embrace the reality that you rejected me, but I want you to know I love you. Your, my love's not changed. My love's not changed. My love's not changed. And that's what God is saying to us. But in a prayer movement, we're holding it in here. We're, we're holding the reality of something that's, that's a struggle or a failure down here. And we, and we feel it. We allow ourselves to feel it, to know it. But then we lift it up a little bit. We lift it up. And what we're doing when we lift it up is we're, we're saying, now I want to have God's insight. I want to invite Jesus into the equation. I'm asking Jesus 
to come in and be part of what's going on here. And, and we allow the Spirit to speak to us. We allow the Word of God to speak to us and say, what would God say about this? What does God say about me in the middle of it? What does God say about the fact I've failed? What does God say? Should I go one way or another? Does God say I need to repent? What's His Word say? Does God say I need to confess it and repent it and, and change something in my life? What's God say about it? Does God just just wrapping his arms around me and say, listen, perfectionist, um, I know you're failing. I know you failed. It wasn't that big of a deal. Let it go. I don't know, but here's the deal. We invite Jesus into it. But this is my experience. We generally stop our prayers right here. We invite Jesus in. We ask him to do something. But the prayer movement takes it a step further. It lifts it and it releases it to God. It lifts that prayer and it goes this way. It says, God, now I release it into your care for you to do the, you're the only one that can really solve this thing, the only one that can do it, the only one that can heal my heart. And so God, I release it into your care. And that's how I want to end today. So I'm going to invite you to do this. Would you close your eyes with me? Put your hands in your lap. Just put your hands in your lap. And in the next few moments, I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to bring up something, a failure, an issue, a problem. Something that's an obstacle, something that's held you back, something that's been derailing you, something maybe that you think has derailed you and you can't get back. Or something that's in the process of derailing you and you need to invite Jesus into it. So that right now, just hold that in your lap. Allow yourself to feel it. Some of you say, I can't do it because it hurts too much. God will not hurt you. The Spirit will not hurt you. Allow just the reality, though, that he won't, of that pain. He, he won't abandon you in the pain. He won't cause the pain, but He won't abandon you in the pain. Allow yourself to feel the hurt. Allow yourself to feel the loss. Let's lift our hands up just a few inches, just kind of right in front of you. And let's invite Jesus into your circumstance. What would Jesus have to say about your circumstance? What's the Word of God say about it? What's the Spirit bringing to your heart right now? What's He saying? Is He reminding you that you're loved? He's reminding you that as one who says that you're His child, that, that He has... Best, best practices for you, best ways for you, and, and some of the things that you've done or you're doing are not the best way. They're not, they're, they're opposed to his way. They're taking you away from God instead of closer. Allow the Spirit to speak into that situation. What's God say about your circumstance? as we know what the Lord says about it. Let's not stop short. Now let's take that and give it to the Lord. We lift our hands and we lift and we separate our hands as a sign of releasing it. We're not controlling it anymore. We're surrendering it. We're giving it up. We're giving it away. We're, all, we're asking for healing and, and God's intervention and God's goodness into the situation. We're asking for God to to do what only God can do to heal and to restore, to encourage. We release it into his care. So now, God, we release 
this issue into your care. And we allow, we ask you, Lord, allow us to feel your grace. Allow us to feel your love. Our arms are outstretched. We're open in a position of receiving. best way to not ruin this moment is simply for me to close and allow you to sit in the reality of what you've given this away to the Lord. I encourage you, if there's some significant issues that the Lord has brought to your mind, don't run out. Sit in the presence of the Lord. Maybe you need to take through that process again. Here's my situation. Jesus, invite, I invite you in. What do you say? I release it to you. And you do that. And you offer it up to the Lord. So that way failure does not need to be fatal. So Father, we love you today. We thank you, Lord, that your word, um, you say about your own word that it's sharper than a two-edged sword, that it divides very to the the division between our bone and our marrow, but our spirit and our life. It divides in there and it, it shows us the reality of what's true inside of us. And we'd ask now, Lord, as we sit with you, minister to us, heal our hurts, make us new, put us on a path from brokenness to wholeness. 